From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. You know, every once in a while you hear something and you think, I cannot believe that that is how it works. Like, that's our system? Okay, I'm going to tell you one of those things right now. So every single day, you surely walk by and see poles made of wood that are holding electric wires, right? High voltage electricity wires that are taking electricity from here to there. It's it's going from some station into your home. This is functionally how you're hearing me right now, thanks to these poles. And they're everywhere. But of course, wood poles do not stay up forever. Wood poles can rot. There can be termite damage. Any number of things can damage these things. And if they fall down and bring the electric wires with them, well, now you have got a problem. It's very dangerous. If you're out in the woods, it can start a wildfire. So how are we making sure that those electric poles are safe and secure? Are you ready? So every time a lineman climbs a pole, they hit it with a hammer to listen to how it sounds to determine if it's safe. There might be heart rot, termite damage. They're going to be up 45 feet above the ground on a very skinny pole, and they're worried it's going to come down. There is a person who climbs 45 feet up into the air on a pole and hits it with a hammer. That is seriously the system. That is insane. And that guy you just heard, he also thinks this is insane. And in part, that's because he's done that himself. My name is Tim Barrett. I am the CEO and co-founder of Gridware. I have a lineman background as well as an electrical and computer science Electrical engineering, computer science backgrounds. His company, Gridware, as you will learn in a moment, is designed to solve this problem of us not knowing if these poles carrying these potentially very dangerous wires are going to just come down. How can we do a better job than just sending people out to hit them with a hammer? He has a solution. And the reason that we are talking to Tim is a couple fold. Number one, This episode is brought to you by AT&T Business. We have collaborated with AT&T Business on this episode, and Tim also collaborates with AT&T Business on his business in a way that you will learn more about in a minute, because Tim has put devices on all these poles that communicate very important information. And how do you communicate that important information? Well, thanks to AT&T Business. But also, the reason that we're talking to Tim is because he serves as a really interesting model for a kind of entrepreneurship. As you heard a moment ago, he started as a lineman. He was one of the guys who was climbing up these poles. And how did he end up in that position? Well, he had dropped out of high school and gotten into this field. But then he transformed himself. He went from being a person on the ground floor to someone who was developing solutions for the entire industry as an entrepreneur. How do you do that? How do you go from one to the other? How do you solve the problem of making a very tiny impact to making a very large impact? That is what we are going to discuss on Problem Solvers today. I am going to talk to Tim about his journey starting as a lineman and then moving up into entrepreneurship and developing a solution that really matters. Oh, and one more thing, selling that solution to customers who don't really want to hear from him or anybody else, because as he learned, selling 
a solution to utility companies, not so easy. And of course, we're also going to talk about how he built a relationship with AT&T. So let's get going with this special bonus episode of Problem Solvers. And I think that we should begin with a little lesson on how electricity actually gets into your home. Yeah, so you have electricity that's generated, and whether that's solar, hydro, coal, and that is transmitted down through high voltage transmission, transformed into distribution, and then the distribution is transformed down into the wires that come into your home. And then throughout your home, you have wires running through your walls to your outlets, switches, and lights. And that, a long while ago, is where you would have found Tim. Tim dropped out of high school at age 15 and then started apprenticing with somebody working in low-voltage electrical, which is home electrical. And then eventually, he transitioned into high-voltage, which is the big wires on the poles. And Tim found this work interesting, and he was doing the kind of thing that we described a moment ago, where he would climb 45 feet up and hit a pole with a hammer to see if it was stable— And Tim admits, at the time, he wasn't really thinking about how crazy this system was. Instead, he started to think about what he really wanted to do with his life. I kind of had a little midlife crisis at the age of 20 and decided to go back to school. Tim starts to study electrical engineering. He gets to understand the mechanics and the science behind the industry that he was working in on the front lines. And this was satisfying, but still there was something missing for him because he wanted to do more than just understand it. He wanted to have some kind of impact, but he wasn't sure what that looked like. You know, my wife is a nurse and she has the opportunity to literally save lives on a daily basis. And I guess I didn't, I couldn't really identify how I was going to do that until I realized how dangerous the grid can be. How dangerous the grid can be. Now, this is where all of our open threads here come together. Tim developing this knowledge and understanding of the system, this crazy thing that we have where people are climbing up 45 feet and hitting poles with a hammer. The problem is that we have a gigantic wildfire issue in this country, and many of those fires are started by poles that just fall down and nobody realizes it until the electricity wires have lit something on fire. How do you solve for this? How do you turn an insight into a problem, into an actual entrepreneurial solution? Here, let's pick up my conversation with Tim to explore exactly that. Do you remember when that insight entered your head or when you confronted the idea that this thing that you have a lot of knowledge about can do more than just make sure that the grid works properly and get electricity into people's homes, but that you could actually apply this knowledge towards a bigger, more pressing problem. Yeah, it happened when all of us found out about the campfire that occurred in 2018. You know, I had been focusing my research on situational awareness and observability of the grid equipment, just because it's important to me. And I saw the intersection between my past experiences and my new toolkit that I developed in university. But when that happened, I immediately realized the the great need for the research that I had done. And so how did you start to make a change so that you could devote yourself to solving this problem? I explored many different options. 
my gut reaction was to pursue a PhD, but I realized that it would be too slow. It is quite cumbersome to, to go through the grant process and, and, and use the funding to then bring innovation to the market. I also thought about working for larger companies in innovation, but ultimately I was inspired by Impossible Foods, a startup that has, huh. has basically taken plant-based meat throughout the US and, and even, the, even the globe now. I've been a vegetarian my whole life. And so I decided that for us to move as quickly as we can, starting a startup was the way to go. And so I took an entrepreneurship class and it all started there. <laughs> and what a funny place of inspiration. You know, I suppose not a lot of people might expect that <laughs> the inspiration for a company that tries to protect against wildfires is inspired by a plant-based food company. But what you're seeing is that being an entrepreneur and building a company, should you be successful, is a powerful way to make an impact on the world. Yeah. And I guess I'm partially an entrepreneur out of necessity because we need to be able to move quickly. Every year that passes, more fires occur, more damage is created, and we want to, to control this narrative as much as we can. And I think being an entrepreneur affords that. So how did you come to the solution of gridware? And as you answer, keep in mind that so many entrepreneurs have experienced up to this point part of that journey or so many aspiring entrepreneurs, which is to say they have identified some kind of problem. They're searching for some kind of meaning. They have concluded that building a company is an effective means of trying to address that problem and, and fulfill that meaning. But there's a big difference between identifying a problem and coming up with a solution. So how did you start from the problem and get to the solution? I'm very fortunate to have my uh, faculty advisor as one of my co-founders. He is very entrepreneurship-minded. And so from the very beginning of joining his lab, he put me into this mindset of problem first. And I think the gut reaction of engineers is to develop cool, interesting technology and then try to fit it to a problem. And I, I came up with many of these solutions. And then I think he retrained me to take this approach where focus on the problem. And I spent 12 months framing the problem before developing a solution. And so I had this intuition coming from my background that there was very little observability into the equipment. So my initial gut reaction was that we needed to emulate a pole test. So every time a lineman climbs a pole, they hit it with a hammer to listen to how it sounds to determine if it's safe. There might be heart rot, termite damage. They're going to be up 45 feet above the ground on a very skinny pole, and they're worried it's going to come down. And so I had thought back to that, and this is just one aspect of the lack of introspection into the health of the equipment. And it's not very quantitative. It's very qualitative. Qualitative. And so my faculty advisor encouraged me to, to reach out because I just had one perspective, right? I'm one individual and I had my own experiences, but reaching out to other linemen, reaching out to the dispatch, to grid operators, even to the, the chair of the board of one of the largest utilities in the US, I had the opportunity to speak to these people and really understand and frame what it is that is important and needs to be solved. And then I set about solving it. So wait, before we go forward, to find out if a pole is unstable and might fall, somebody has to climb to the top of it and hit it with a hammer. Almost. Okay. Because that sounds crazy. 
<laughs> but it is crazy. Generally, heart rot, which is, is, is the biggest risk in pole failure, occurs below the ground. As you can imagine, water builds up and water equals rot. And so you actually hit the pole closer to the ground. And if it sounds different, it has like a dull thud, then you, you suspect that there may be heart rot. And then you can do intrusive testing. So you, you, you take a drill and you drill into it and then you observe the shavings that come out. And unfortunately, you can only do that so many times because every time you do that, you're, you're damaging You're losing the some pole. of the pole. And you create an ingress point so the water can get into the pole and it's maybe becomes a self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. And, right. and unfortunately, utilities... It's like checking a credit score. <laughs> they do this once every 10 years only. And so a lot can happen in 10 years. And that's why we're trained to do these tests ourselves every time we climb a pole as well. But a lot of the times, a whole pole and all the equipment it supports is only checked once every 10 years. And so much can happen in those 10 years. And that's why some of these things end up falling down. And then you've got yourself a potential fire situation. That's correct. So, okay, this is a good time to now fully understand gridware. So your solution is to create something that's basically constantly monitoring the poles. Is that right? That's correct. So as linemen, we're in the business of reactive maintenance. Because of the size of the grid, it's virtually impossible to have eyes on the equipment all the time. And so coupled with the fact that you have aging infrastructure and a diminishing workforce, utilities are forced to run their assets to failure. And for the longest time, that's been okay because those failures are infrequent, but most importantly, the results of those failures haven't really been catastrophic. But now we're seeing an increased frequency of extreme weather events, which put a lot of stress on the equipment. And when failure occurs during extreme weather events, it's like a perfect storm. You have an ignition source, you have the fuel. Now with, you know, we've seen trends here, at least in the West Coast, where vegetation is as dry as it's ever been. And then you have these hot temperatures, some of the highest we've ever seen. And then you have extreme wind. And then the power lines are located near communities. And it's just the perfect storm to then create catastrophic damage. How would you say you got this idea from concept, working with the team of advisors that you had described out into the world so that it is making the actual impact that you wanted it to? I wish I could tie this back to one or two reasons as to why, but it's really a combination of many, many different conversations, connections, and it's, it's about being present in the community and inserting yourself. And so I could name the California Energy Commission that gave us the CalSeed grant and now the CalTestBed grant. This gave us the credibility to then go and approach the utilities and, and get traction with them. But as you know, with investors, it's always about that first investor and then everybody follows. It's very similar within the utilities. And so it's been very interesting to see that there's a lot of analogies there. And we've really been focusing on several utilities executing well on these pilots and then using that to sell our product. Because ultimately, we don't want to be the ones selling our product. The people that are going to be purchasing our product don't like to be sold to. They very much rely on references, they're, they're pragmatists. And so it's very important that we reduce the scope or the number of pilots that we run sequentially at the beginning, execute very well on those, and then let the technology speak for itself and let our customers speak to the technology. And your customer is the utility companies, is that right? That's correct. 
I imagine that they don't like to be sold to. (laughs) Did you know that going into this? Because, I mean, how does anybody even begin to know how to start selling something to utility companies? It seems like a kind of half impossible task. How did you figure that out? If somebody wants to make a lot of money, they should write a book about how to sell to utilities because it doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I did not know that at all. And I would argue that I still don't know how to to sell to utilities. There are going to be many different stages throughout the life of this company. I think we've we've had a lot of early success, but that only means so much. We need to execute and, and, and scale and There's a lot of learning that needs to happen. And the model that I've adopted is just talking to people. If you're genuine and transparent, it's surprising the number of people and the quality of the conversation that you can have with people. The industry in general is looking for change. They want to support solutions. It's just very difficult because it is a small market and now there's a lot of attention. And so You have large companies with huge marketing budgets approaching the decision makers and they have to filter out, well, what is real and what isn't? What is tested? Mm -hmm. What is untested? This maybe is a nice transition into AT&T in that you have built a great relationship, which I'd love for you to explain more because I don't know that everyone will naturally understand how AT&T plays a role in gridware, but you've built a relationship with a company like AT&T, which I think also people probably wonder, how do you do that in the way that it's like, how do you sell the utilities? It's also how do you build important relationships with gigantic companies? So can you talk to me about your relationship with AT&T, where it came from and what it is that you are doing together? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we have to do is provide the insights and data that we, we get from the grid to the utilities. And due to the nature of the grid, we are in remote areas and connectivity is inherently important, reliable, low latency connectivity. And so we chose to collaborate with AT&T on the Category M network due to this very reason. And so that means just to be simple about it, you've got these sensors on these poles. Those sensors have to be able to communicate what they are picking up and to do it quickly. And that means you've got to have a company that can facilitate that. And that's what AT&T does. How did you approach them? So internally, we kind of evaluated different providers and we determined AT&T has been in the business for 38 years and are known for being very dependable. So we approached them actually through one of my advisors who was an innovation director at AT&T. And so he made the necessary connections to the right stakeholders and everything went very smoothly. We were very pleasantly surprised with the onboarding experience. Oh, that's great. That sounds like a really simple process. But for somebody who's maybe a few steps behind you in a situation like this, how would you suggest that they go about making these kinds of connections and partnerships? Yeah, I think it all comes back down to networking and introductions. If you want to connect with with an individual or a company, it's always about that introduction, I believe. And so there is something to be said about cold calling and reaching out cold. But now with social media and how connected we are, if you can use some of the tools online, whether that's LinkedIn or Twitter or many different ways just to connect with 
with people, you can be surprised <laughs> with social mobility. Tim, as a kind of wrap up thought here, I find it interesting that you, we set out here to talk about some pretty complex stuff, which is to say the electric grid and wildfires and poles going down and a, a means of solving that problem and the way that that requires building complex and important relationships with utility companies and connectivity companies like AT&T. But all of your answers are really about individual human relationships. You know, you've spoken a lot about just listening and making the right connections and hearing and understanding problems first. And and I just I guess I'd love for you to reflect on that for a minute about how even in the more complicated industries, uh, this is not, gridware is not the kind of thing that I think the average person could probably feel like they understand. But what it comes down to even here, it's all about human connection. Yeah, I could speak to you for, for hours or days about the technology, but I've seen so much great technology sitting in our research labs at university. And my thesis is that it's because there is a lack of human connection because I think each and every one of us has the opportunity to, to contribute and help each other in many different ways. And one of the ways that I go about my, my day is to do something for somebody without expecting anything in return, at least once per day. And my philosophy is that if all of us did that, we would solve more problems because <laughs> each and every of us, one of us has problems. And so how am I supposed to get in tune as an engineer with the problems that actually matter if I limit my sphere to just myself and my, my immediate connections? And so I always strive to reach out to, to people that I wouldn't necessarily come across, communicate with, bump into to expand my awareness. It's all about awareness. And you can only be aware if you're inserting yourself. People are not going to come to you. I think that's really what it's all about. Well, Tim, I think that was a really powerful answer. Thanks for your time and for the important work that you do. Well, thank you, Jason. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you this morning. Once again, this bonus episode of Problem Solvers was brought to you by AT&T Business. To learn more about how AT&T Business can help keep your business going, visit att.com slash solvers. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Problem Solvers wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Monday morning and you don't want to miss it. And hey, be kind. Pass the show along to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost. And did you solve a problem that would be good for this show? Let me know about it. Visit my website, jasonfeifer.com, J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com, where you can find my contact information and all sorts of other valuable info. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for all your entrepreneurship needs and even better subscribe to our magazine which is just full of the smartest entrepreneurs solving the toughest problems my name is jason pfeiffer the editor-in-chief of entrepreneur magazine thanks for listening and hey let's go solve some problems